Welcome to the Classic Speeches Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, bringing you treasured talks from 70 years of BYU devotionals. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts, or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. I can think of several days when it felt like I was teaching cemetery. As I uh, think about who has recently preceded me at this podium, President Hinckley a few weeks ago, President Faust, I was reminded of a story Elder Holland once shared with a group of us about a time when they were registering all the thoroughbreds for the Kentucky Derby. And the registrar looked up, and here was a man leading a donkey. Quite surprised, he went to the man and said, What are you doing? He says, I'm here to register my donkey in the race. And he said, Surely you don't think there's any way that donkey can win. The man said, Oh, no, but he really loves the company. (laughs) Today I'd like to speak with you about a topic that's of the most singular importance to every person here. It's a topic that's especially important to you who are young adults and facing some of the most important decisions of your life, mission, education, career, and marriage. That topic is personal revelation or hearing the voice of the Lord. When we are baptized and confirmed members of the Church, we are commanded to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. When you think about it, that is an incredible gift. Imagine receiving a member of the Godhead as our personal companion. We are told that our mission in life is to come unto Christ and to be perfected in Him. But that's not always a simple thing. Life is too complex to provide a rule book that covers every situation. Instead, the Lord has given us the Holy Ghost to serve as our teacher, our watchman, our mentor, and our guide. I believe that one of the most important challenges of our mortal probation is learning to hear, recognize, and then follow the voice of the Lord. I would like to say that again. One of the most important, if not the most important, challenges in learning how to come unto Christ and how to be perfected in Him is to learn to hear, to recognize, and then to follow the voice of the Lord. Part of that challenge is that there is sometimes confusion in the minds of some about personal revelation. Others have important questions about how it works or what it is like. Have you heard statements such as these? How do I know if an impression is really from the Lord or if it is just my own emotions? Or I never seem to have a spiritual experience. Or I have prayed again and again about this. Why isn't the Lord answering me? Let me just give one quick example of how the area of personal revelation can sometimes get confusing. When I was teaching in the Institutes of Religion in Southern California, there was hardly a semester that went by that I didn't have an experience like this. One of my students would come to me, usually a girl, and report that the boy she had been dating sometimes seriously, sometimes casually, had received a, quote, revelation that they were to marry. Now, I won't ask 
for a show of hands how many of you here have faced a similar declaration. But I know from my own experience it will be more than just a few of you. Carlford Broderick, a renowned LDS family therapist, dubbed this as hormonal revelation. <laughs> the interesting thing to me was that often the girl felt intimidated by such a declaration, feeling that she needed to accept the, quote, Lord's will, even though she found the prospect somewhat distasteful. <laughs> In some cases, that was downright distasteful. Some were even a little shocked when I boldly explained that unless they received an independent confirmation from the Lord, they should feel no pressure to accept the boy's request. Today, I should like to address three questions about personal revelation. Number one, what is the voice of the Lord like? Number two, how can I distinguish between true and counterfeit revelation? And number three, what can I do to enhance my ability to hear, recognize, and follow the voice of the Lord? Question number one, what is the voice of the Lord like? There are two scriptures in the Doctrine and Covenants which are particularly helpful in describing what the voice of the Lord is like and how it works with us. The first is in section 85, verse 6, wherein the Lord says, quote, Thus saith the still small voice which whispereth through and pierceth all things. Note the descriptive phrases the Lord uses here. The voice is still, it is small, and it whispers. When you think about that, it becomes clear that hearing the voice of the Lord has inherent challenges. Think how much simpler it would be if the Lord spoke in a voice of thunder or if he used a microphone and 80 megawatt speakers. Then there would be no doubt. But he does not. He whispers. His voice is still and small. Elder Boyd K. Packer said this about the nature of the Lord's voice. Quote, the Spirit does not get our attention by shouting or shaking us with a heavy hand. Rather, it whispers. I love this phrase. It caresses so gently that if we are preoccupied, we may not feel it at all. Have any of you been preoccupied? Continuing with the quote, Occasionally it will press just firmly enough for us to pay heed. But most of the time, if we do not heed the gentle feeling... The Spirit will withdraw and wait until we come seeking and listening. Close quote. The second scripture that tells us what the voice of the Lord is like is found in section 8, which is a revelation given through the prophet Joseph Smith to Oliver Cowdery. In that section, the Lord defined what revelation is and how it comes. Quote, Yea, behold, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. Now behold, this is the spirit of revelation. Notice that phrase, in your mind and in your heart. Think about that for a moment. If the Lord spoke something to our mind, how would it come? We would probably describe it as coming to us as thoughts. If he tells us something to our hearts, we would probably describe that as coming as feelings. Thoughts and feelings. These are the most common ways the Lord gives us personal revelation. And therein lies another challenge. 
Every one of us is a veritable stream of thoughts and feelings. Every day our minds are constantly occupied with thoughts, and we are filled with various emotions. In the midst of that torrent of thought and feeling, the Lord from time to time inserts a thought or feeling which comes from Him. So how do we tell the difference? Unfortunately, revelation is rarely preceded by a drum roll or by the announcement, quote, the following thought will be a feeling, the following thought or feeling will be from the Lord. There is yet one other thing we need to note when we talk about what the voice of the Lord is like. It has to do with revelation that does not come from the Lord. Note what Elder Packer said about what he called counterfeit revelation. Quote, Be ever on guard lest you be deceived by inspiration from an unworthy source. You can be given false spiritual messages. There are counterfeit spirits just as there are counterfeit angels. The spiritual part of us and the emotional part of us are so closely linked that it is possible to mistake an emotional impulse for something spiritually, for something spiritual. We occasionally find people who receive what they assume to be spiritual promptings from God when those promptings are either centered in the emotions or are from the adversary. Close quote. If something is counterfeit, it means that it resembles the original so closely that it's difficult to distinguish which is the true and which is the false. So it is with counterfeit revelation. On the surface, it may feel real. It may appear to be from the Lord. We may even have very strong feelings about what we've received. But this alone is not proof it is from God. Note that President Packer warned us that we must be ever on guard against being deceived by our emotions or by revelation from an unworthy source. That suggests that counterfeit revelation is not a rare thing. This shouldn't be too surprising to us, should it? If you were Satan and knew that personal revelation was absolutely essential for a person who's striving to come unto Christ, wouldn't you try to sow confusion and deception about it? This brings us to our second question. Question number two, how can I distinguish between true and counterfeit revelation? Personal revelation comes in many different ways and forms. It may vary from one person to another, and therefore it's difficult to set down a set of rigid rules which cover every situation. But the Lord has not left us without guidance in this matter. Through the scriptures and the statements of his modern prophets, we find principles which can help us determine how to decide if revelation comes from the Lord or from another source. I would like to briefly outline five of those guidelines or principles to you today. There are others, but these have proven to be particularly helpful to me. Principle number one, it is God who determines all aspects of revelation. By definition, revelation is the communication of the mind and will of the Lord to his children. If you think about that for a moment, then you'll understand that revelation is always unidirectional. It comes only from God to us. We may communicate back and forth with God in a two-way process, but revelation always comes in one direction only. We never reveal anything to God. Since all revelation comes from the Lord, then, 
it is reasonable that he should set all of the parameters of that revelation. Those parameters include to whom a revelation is given, what content will be given in the revelation, when the revelation comes, and in what form the revelation may be given. Sometimes with the best of intentions, we inadvertently seek to tell the Lord how he should conduct his business. We may feel a particular urgency about a question or press the Lord for an answer by a certain deadline. Or we may strongly desire a particular kind of manifestation, such as one of the more dramatic forms of revelation, and be satisfied with nothing less. Occasionally we may try to tell the Lord how to solve our problems or what answer we would like. But these are not our choices. All aspects of revelation are determined by the Lord. Elder Packer counseled against trying to force spiritual things. Quote, It is not wise to wrestle with the revelations with such insistence as to demand immediate answers or blessings to our liking. You cannot force spiritual things. Such words as compel, coerce, constrain, pressure, demand do not describe our privileges with the Spirit. You can create a climate to foster growth, but you cannot force or compel. And then he adds this warning. Do not force it, or you will open the way to be deceived. Close quote. Note that he says we can create a climate which fosters spiritual growth. Through appropriate action, we can influence the process of revelation. We can study and pray. On occasion, we can add fasting to our prayers. We can importune the Lord with deep yearnings, and we can keep sacred covenants. All of these will help create a climate that fosters spiritual growth. But we must remember that when all is said and done, it is still up to the Lord to determine when the revelation comes, how it will be given, what will be revealed, and to whom. In connection with this principle that God determines all aspects of revelation, I should like to make two additional points. The prophet Jacob taught a simple principle with these words, quote, Seek not to counsel the Lord, but to take counsel from his hand. Think about that for a moment. God's wisdom is infinitely greater than ours. His knowledge infinitely more complete. How foolish when we presume to tell him how he should do his work. There's also great wisdom in what some have called the Gethsemane principle. With the utmost earnestness and the deepest of pleadings, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Savior called on his Father to remove the dreaded cup of his coming sacrifice. But that request was followed immediately by these profound words, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. That should be part of every prayer we utter, every request we take to the Lord. In that simple phrase lies the key to our willingness to let the Lord decide what is best for us. Principle number two. The content given in a revelation is more important than the form in which it comes. Another mistake some of us make is to covet the more dramatic forms of revelation. When you think about it, God reveals his mind and will to man across a broad spectrum of experiences. 
These may range from the very direct and dramatic, the appearance of divine beings, open visions, fire from heaven, or they may be very subtle, quiet premonitions, gentle thoughts, or a feeling of peace. The latter are by far the most common forms of revelation, and we must be careful that we don't feel that only the more direct forms are the valid ones. President Kimball warned of this tendency. Quote, Even in our day, many people expect if there be revelation, it will come with awe-inspiring, earth-shaking display. The burning bushes, the smoking mountains, the Camorras, the Kirtlands were realities, but they were the exceptions. The great volume of revelation came to Moses and to Joseph and to today's prophets in the less spectacular way, that of deep impressions, without spectacle or glamour or dramatic events. And then President Kimball gives us a warning too. Always expecting the spectacular, many will miss entirely the constant flow of revealed communications. Close quote. We must learn to be content not only with what the Lord decides to reveal to us, but in what form he chooses to send that revelation. As Elder Packer warned, if we try to force a spiritual manifestation to our liking, we open the way for us to be deceived. Principle number three. True revelation does not contradict gospel principles or go contrary to established church policy and procedure. One would think this principle would be self-evident and hardly worthy of mention. But again and again we hear of cases where the principle is violated. Sensational stories or wild rumors go through the church like wildfire. AT&T, Sprint, MCI, none of those have anything on the grapevine in the church. Some of these rumors are almost ridiculous in nature, and yet they are still those who believe them. For example, one story that has been around for years tells of a hitchhiker supposedly picked up by church members. As they drive along, the hitchhiker tells the people that if they don't have their food storage now, it is everlastingly too late. Then he mysteriously disappears out of the car. You would think that everyone would be skeptical of such a story, but there are always a few who believe it. In another case, a person predicted that the great earthquake foretold in the scriptures was about to hit Utah. For months, he was a popular fireside speaker, and tapes of his talk were widely distributed. Do you remember a major earthquake in Utah in recent years? Neither do I. Another man worked out the exact day and date that Christ will come, and that too went around the church like a sensation. The scriptures say that no man... No, not even the angels of heaven know the day nor the hour of his coming. I just have one question. Where does that leave that man? And why aren't we wise enough to see the contradictions? Here's what President Harold B. Lee had to say of such things. Quote, It never ceases to amaze me how gullible some of our church members are in broadcasting sensational stories or dreams or visions or purported patriarchal blessings, or quotations, or supposed entries from some person's private diary. We find that these things are finding their way into our Relief Society meetings, into priesthood quorums, firesides, and ouch, 
institutes and seminaries. And then he says, brethren of the priesthood, you defenders of the faith, cease promoting the works of the devil, for they are the works of Satan. Now, is that strong enough language for us? Here is something equally clear given in an official declaration by the First Presidency. Quote, When visions, dreams, tongues, prophecy, impressions, or any extraordinary gift or of inspiration conveys something out of harmony with the accepted revelations of the Church or contrary to the decisions of its constituted authorities, Latter-day Saints may know that it is not of God no matter how plausible it may appear. Anything at discord with that which comes from God through the head of the Church is not to be received as authoritative or reliable. Brothers and sisters, is that plain enough? If the Lord wants to warn the Church about the importance of food storage, He won't do it through a hitchhiker. If you need to be told of a coming earthquake, you won't get that news from an audio tape your neighbor hands you. Let us be wise. When there is a new doctrine or a new procedure to come forth, you will get it in one of three ways. There will be a formal press conference called by the leaders of the Church and an official announcement will be made. Or it will be announced through the Church news, the ensign, or other official Church organs. Or, as in the case of the Family Proclamation, it will be announced in a general conference or general meeting of the Church by those in authority. Otherwise, we should be very wary about accepting it ourselves, and we should also be wary about passing it on to others. Principle number four. The Lord wants us to use our agency and develop what I'll call spiritual self-reliance. In some ways, this guideline may at first seem like a paradox. There's no question but what the Lord wants us to rely on Him to turn to Him, to trust in His guidance and counsel and direction. On the other hand, the scriptures and the prophets warn us about having to be directed in every matter of life. From time to time, we meet people who feel that, quote, being spiritual means that the Lord inspires or confirms every action they take. Everything they do is attributed to the Spirit. In some cases, they submit even the most trivial of matters to the Lord for confirmation. When I was a young college student here on this campus many years ago, I remember a teacher saying something like this, If you are living by the Spirit, you will even know which brand of toothpaste to buy. I was deeply impressed then and hoped that someday I might reach that level of spirituality. <laughs> Today I have a different understanding. Do these words sound familiar? For behold, it is not meat. That is, it is not proper, it is not good, that I should command in all things. For he that is compelled in all things, the same as a slothful, and not a wise servant. Wherefore he receiveth no reward. They should sound familiar to you. They come directly from the Lord. It seems to me that if I require spiritual direction in whether to buy Crest or Colgate, I run the risk of being slothful and not wise. We know from the scriptures that there are some things that don't matter to the Lord, that he leaves the choice up to us. 
There are several places in the Doctrine and Covenants where you will find this exact phrase, It mattereth not to me. It is clear, then, that the Lord does not expect us to seek help on every trivial matter. While president of BYU, Elder Dallin H. Oaks, spoke of this, quote, The Spirit of the Lord is not likely to give us revelation on matters that are trivial. I once heard a young woman in testimony meeting praise the spirituality of her husband, indicating that he submitted every question to the Lord. She told how he accompanied her shopping and would not even choose between different brands of canned vegetables without making his selection a matter of prayer. And then Elder Oak says, That strikes me as improper. Close quote. Striking the balance between trust in the Lord and spiritual self-reliance is a delicate matter, but it is clear that the Lord does not want us to be spiritual automatons who are afraid to move without first being told what to do. Finally, principle five, and this is an important one. A person is not given revelation to direct another person unless they have priesthood or family responsibility for that person. Some time ago, I was speaking at a Know Your Religion lecture in another part of the country. My topic there was what it is today. Afterwards, a woman came up and told me that this was the first church meeting she had been to in over six years, even though she had come from an active family and had been active her whole life. She explained that she had come only at the urging of a friend. Then she told me why that was the case. She and her husband had been unable to have children for several years after marriage. Finally, she was able to get pregnant, and they looked forward with great joy to having a child. Shortly before the baby was due, she went into terrible contractions and started the hemorrhage. Her husband rushed her to the hospital, barely in time to save her life, but not in time to save the baby. You can imagine their devastation. About a week after the funeral, a sister from the ward came to visit this woman. This neighbor told the woman that she had had a dream the previous night in which it had been revealed to her that if the father had taken time to give his wife a priesthood blessing before he had rushed her to the hospital, the baby would have lived. That was when I stopped going to church, the woman told me. My husband is a faithful priesthood holder, but all he could think about at that moment was saving my life, and I decided that if God would let my child die under such circumstances, I wanted nothing more to do with him. Then she said this to me, But what that woman told me wasn't from the Lord, was it? I shook my head and said no. What had led her to that conclusion? It came from two quotes I read that night. Let me read them to you now. The first is from an official declaration by the First Presidency. Quote, In secular as well as spiritual affairs, saints may receive divine guidance and revelation affecting themselves, but this does not convey authority to direct others. The second statement comes from Elder Oaks. Quote, we should understand what can be called the principle of stewardship in Revelation. Only the president of the church receives revelation to guide the entire church. Only the stake president receives revelation for the special guidance of the stake. The person who receives revelation for the ward is the bishop. 
Individuals can receive revelation to guide their own lives, but when one person purports to receive revelation for another person outside his or own his or her own stewardship, you can be sure that such revelations are not from the Lord. Close quote. This young mother then began to weep and said, I am so glad I came tonight. It is time I came back to the Lord. Now, I am sure that neighbor woman was well-meaning. I am sure that she felt that her dream was from the Lord. But had she understood this principle, she would have known that it wasn't from God because she had no right to revelation that directed the lives of that young couple. Remember those cases of hormonal revelation which I experienced while teaching Institute? I told my students they didn't have to accept another so-called revelation about marriage unless they received independent confirmation of it for themselves. Why did I feel bold enough to make such statements? Because it comes under this same principle of not getting revelation to direct another over whom we have no responsibility. Again from Elder Oaks, quote, I have heard of cases where a young man told a young woman she should marry him because he had received a revelation that she was to be his eternal companion. If this is a true revelation, it will be confirmed directly to the woman if she seeks to know. That's an interesting addition, isn't it? <laughs> In the meantime, she is under no obligation to heed it. The man can receive revelation to guide his own actions, but he cannot properly receive revelation to direct hers because she is outside of his stewardship. Close quote. That concludes the five principles that can serve us as guidelines concerning personal revelation. I hope from these examples that you can see how they provide a standard by which we can judge and major, measure the processes of personal revelation. They help us better understand how the Lord works with us and also helps us weigh which things are truly from Him and which things may be counterfeit. This now brings us to the third and most certainly the most important of our three questions. Question three, what can I do to enhance my ability to hear, recognize, and follow the voice of the Lord? There are obviously many answers that could be given to that question. Be worthy. Earnestly seek the Lord. Pray always. Follow the brethren. But I should like to answer it in a little different way. To do that, I'd like to conduct a brief experiment with you. Even though we are a large audience in a massive hall, I would like for just a moment to have absolute silence. Then I would like you to listen to the silence and see what you hear. What did you hear? Can you hear the hum of the air conditioning? There's something up there. I don't know if it's the lights or whatever. Had you heard those sounds before? If not, why not? Do you see the principle we're trying to teach now? If, as we noted before, the Lord's voice is still and small and it whispers, then if our lives are filled with noise, we will find it difficult to hear the voice of the Lord. In his recently released book, Draw Closer to God, Elder Henry B. Eyring noted, quote, Your problem and mine is not to get God to speak to us. Few of us have reached the point where he has been compelled to turn away from us. Our problem 
is to hear. In our little experiment, only in the silence did we begin to hear the more subtle and quieter sounds, and yet they were there all along. Other sounds cover, mask, or distract us from those quieter sounds. If the voice of the Lord is still and small and whispers to us, then we must find ways to reduce the inner noise in our lives and create times of inner stillness and quiet. There are many sources of inner noise. Some are obvious. Sin is clearly a major source of spiritual noise. The effect is similar to what loud, prolonged noise does to the auditory nerves. Prolonged, permanent hearing loss can result. I believe this is what Paul meant when he spoke to Timothy about having our consciences seared with a hot iron. It means we are beyond feeling. Sin does that. It rapidly impairs our spiritual senses. It can create tremendous inner noise. Anger and contention are a major source of inner noise. Remember the story of the prophet Joseph during the days of translating the Book of Mormon? It was reported that one day he came up to the room to translate but could get nowhere. He then admitted that earlier he and Emma had spoken some disagreeable words. He excused himself and went to make peace with his wife. After a time he returned and indicated that he was now ready to proceed. Other sources of inner noise are not necessarily bad in and of themselves. Physical tiredness, stress, busyness, apathy, worry can all create inner noise of their own. Even outer noise can detract from inner quiet. Noise is endemic in our society. We live in envelopes of outer noise. We play music in our homes and cars. We watch television while we study. We even buy portable tape and CD players so we can carry this envelope of noise with us when we walk or jog. Now, this is not a bad thing, but it may interfere at times with the quiet whisperings the Lord wants to give us. One observer noted that before a revelation could be given to some people, there would have to be something like this. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the following message. Irreverence is a source of inner noise. Elder Packer again in a conference talk, which he titled Reverence Invites Revelation, made this observation. Irreverence suits the purposes of the adversary by obstructing the delicate channels of revelation in both mind and spirit. Leaders sometimes wonder why so many active members get themselves into such predicaments in life. Could it be that they do not feel what they need to feel because our meetings are less than they might be spiritually? Leaders should teach that reverence invites revelation. Let me mention one other common source of great inner noise, often found even among faithful, obedient people. It is what Elder Eyring on another occasion described as having your wants too high. When we desperately desire something, it creates a great rush of emotion within us, and high emotion can mask or cover spiritual promptings. Even if the thing we desire is a good thing, such as wanting help for a critically ill family member, our wants may be so high that we become unwilling or unable to hear the Lord's will in the matter. In summary, then, if the voice of the Lord is still in small whispers, should it surprise us that his counsel is, Be still and know that I am God. Only as we are still can we learn to hear the still small voice. Thankfully, the scriptures and the prophets teach us how to reduce inner noise and create times of quiet and reverence. 
these will neither be new nor surprising ideas to you. And the closing idea I would just like to summarize some of those quickly. Reading the scriptures is a great way to calm the inner turmoil. Consistent, submissive, humble prayer is a way to calm and quiet your inner self. Seeking to know God's will for you, putting your wants way down, deliberately invoking the Gethsemane principle and saying, not my will, but thine be done. As I started, I say again, one of the most important challenges we face in life is to come to know and understand personal revelation. It is the only way we can come to be like him and to come unto him. And I bear witness of that to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Classic Speeches podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts, including recent speeches, updated weekly with new talks given on BYU campus, as well as other speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity by study and by faith. Come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.